Hi everyone, Win Claybaugh here. This Masters Classic from 2019 features Stacy Cutts, the Emmy and Oscar-nominated Barbara Stylist, whose celebrity clients span across the music, sports, television, and film industries worldwide. Listen in as Stacy discusses her 30-plus year career and the challenge of breaking boundaries as a high-profile female in a male-dominated culture. If you enjoyed this classic interview, please share it with your friends and visit mastersbywinclaybaugh.com to sign up for our mailing list. And remember, Masters podcasts are also available on your favorite podcast platforms. Hi, everybody. Win Claybaugh here, and welcome to a wonderful issue of Masters, which I'm kicking myself for not putting this interview together uh, years ago. And even this morning, I've had several conversations with people who knew that I was interviewing this wonderful woman who's sitting with me right now. They wish that they could be here, but they, uh, Diana sent over questions to ask you. She's like, Win, you have to ask her this. Great. So look at this email. Like, I got it like an hour ago and I'm printing it, take, <laughs> taking notes on that. So, Great. so there's a lot of people that are excited about us capturing this story, this interview, this message this morning. And this is going to go out to lots and lots of people. And you're already an inspiration. And I'm just thrilled that I get to use my platform right now to deliver that message as well. So I'm sitting here with Stacy Cutts. So welcome to Masters. Hi, thank you. Now do thank you go by you having me. Your real name is Stacy Morris. Stacy Morris. Where where the Stacy Cuts come from? That happened in junior high school. Okay. Was, I've been cutting hair that long and a friend of mine just started calling me Stacy Cuts. And right. everybody started referring to me as Stacy Cuts. So I've been Stacy Cuts since junior high school. So that's your brand. Uh, yeah. <laughs> good for you. Yeah. Well I'm gonna, I'm just read some of this to give you an idea on who Stacy is and we have so many things to talk about. Stacy for the last thirty years has been an established barber stylist based in Los Angeles, catering to the demands of a very high profile clientele that span across the music, sports, television and film industries worldwide. Just reading some of this, and I have, again, a lot of questions about this, of who your family members are and, and how you were raised with mom and dad and then stepdad right. and, <laughs> and grandfather on both sides. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of history here that really set you up for success. She is the personal barber for familiar names like Kid and Play, Teddy Riley and Guy, New Edition, uh, Mike Tyson, Martin Lawrence, Will Smith. Eddie Murphy, Anthony Anderson, this list just goes on and on and on. You are just kind of the, the go-to barber stylist for a lot of people, including some shows. You're involved in shows such as America's Funniest Videos, Blackish, The Voice. You've also done reality shows or a reality show too yeah i was actually a personality on a reality show that well, was uh la hair wonderful <laughs> how did that go what was that experience like it was interesting you know reality tv lots of ins and outs and ups and downs but it was uh interesting for me because i still maintained what i had going on and i was on a tv show so it was a lot but it gave me a platform you know, for people, even more people to see me and know who I was. And I, the hardest part of that show was 
maintaining who I was because if we watch reality TV, you see what reality TV is about. It's a right. lot of drama. It's a lot of stuff like that. And that's what sells. Yeah, that's what sells. And I was not that character on the show, okay. but I found my niche on the show, and it, it worked out well. Now, you were up till what hour last night on set? Uh, we wrapped at about 10 o'clock Last night. Set. Yeah, and then what time night. did you start this morning on set? Uh, my call time was 8 a.m. Okay. Yeah, we were working out in Newhall, which is a quite a little trek. Okay. But I was there. I had two or three actors. I had to get through the works to be camera ready. And, you know, nobody shows up on time. So <laughs> <laughs> you, you can't dock these actors for showing up late then, huh? Hey, it's their world. Right, right. <laughs> this wow. is what we do. Well, there's a lot that I want to talk about, but just putting it up front for our listeners, uh, you're also a mom of three daughters. How old are they? Uh, six. 11 and 13. Okay. And a single mom. A single mom. Yeah. We're going to talk about that. There's okay. a whole conversation <laughs> about that. Right. But you're also still working in your own salon, in your own barbershop, correct? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Is that out of your home or is it someplace yeah. else? It's not in my home. It's separate from my home, but on okay. my property. So it's a little private studio. I started doing that maybe eight years ago. Okay. I left the salon. It was really no purpose for me to be in the salon anymore. Okay. And most of my clients like the privacy. Okay. It's a different kind of privacy because we still mingle, but everyone knows everyone and everyone is comfortable and no one is, you know, in awe of, oh my God, it's Eddie Murphy in here, you know? So it's right. a comfortable environment and it's a place that the celebrities can come and I would say feel normal. Okay. There's no one asking them for pictures or autographs or okay. things like that. So. so you have always maintained a clientele working in a salon through your career as a session hairdresser. Is that what you call it? Is it a session hairdresser or a barber working within the entertainment industry? Yeah, a set stylist, hairdresser, okay. industry, union Okay. Stylist. Um, yeah, I've always maintained keeping a regular clientele. Obviously, I don't need to, but there is a reason within myself that I need to. What is that reason? Uh, the reason is styles and trends come from regular people. No one knows about them until it's put on the big screen. So if you keep your ear to the ground and you're dealing with that, you know, home audience, that's where the things are created. Michael Jackson wasn't the first one to do the moonwalk. That was happening in the Bronx and in New York with the street kids dancing long before he did it. But once he did it, it became a thing. Everyone knew about it. So to keep myself current with styles and what's going on and staying innovative and creating, I maintain my regular clientele. See, a lot of people would think that it's the other way around. They would think that, oh, it started with Michael Jackson and then everybody else followed. <laughs> started doing that, it, That right. look, <laughs> that style started with a celebrity and then right. everybody else is following. And what you're saying, no, it's the opposite of that. Right, it's the opposite of that. And I think um, us stylists in the industry, we're the segue to it reaching the masses because we put it on the screen. You know, it's in the videos. It's, you know, on the musicians and the sports players. So... That's where everyone sees it and says, oh, I want that. I want to do that. But it really started some small group somewhere in some neighborhood, you know? <laughs> That's great. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you, you mentioned uh, Eddie Murphy. Mm -hmm. And you've been 
friends with him and working with him for over 20 years, correct? Yeah, yeah. I've been so it go, goes back to, to what show or what film? Oh, boy. Uh, I would say somewhere after maybe Harlem Nights or something like that. Okay. Yeah. It's a long time ago. It's a long time ago. He's had a really long, great career, and I've been blessed to be a part of that. <laughs> wow. Yep. You say that you had a very eventful, colorful life growing up. Share with us that story. Okay, well, I had very liberal parents. They were artists as well. My mother was a fashion designer, seamstress, and also a model in New York. So I spent a lot of my years at photo shoots, fashion shows, around a lot of high-profile, you know, people. And my biological father was a producer and a songwriter. So some of the hits that we probably have listened to back in the disco days, he probably wrote and produced. Really? Yeah. He, um, I don't know if you remember uh, Push Push in the Bush. Oh, yes. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah. He wrote that or he produced he that? He both. Are you serious? Yeah. <laughs> oh, my gosh. As a matter of fact, I think that song was put out under... Stacy Lynn Productions, which was the name of his production company he named after me. You know, so he did a lot of those hits back then. He was very close friends with Rick James, who was my godfather. So you can imagine... Rick James was your godfather. Yes, Rick well, was my godfather. So you grew up around celebrities. Yeah, I grew up... I'm, I'm basically a product of my environment. Right. You know, I took the two, you know, being around celebrities and having this gift and this uh, skill, and I merged them together, and it equaled me and what I'm doing in my life, you know? And then your, your stepfather was also somehow in the entertainment industry, Yeah, yeah. My, my stepfather was on the executive side. Uh, when he started, he was uh, president at RCA Records in New York. Um, later on, my uncle, who was Dick Griffey, Decided he wanted to start Solar Records here in, in Hollywood, in L.A. Um, had some groups like The Whispers and Shalimar and Climax mm -hmm. and groups like that. So that was what made our move to L.A. Mm -hmm. So we moved to L.A., Solar Records. Soon after that, when Benny Medina left Warner Brothers, my father uh, became the senior vice president of Warner Brothers huh? Records. Yeah. So we spent a lot of time at the Grammys and concerts and, you know, these different artists frequenting our house, you know. So it yeah. was it was a environment that I was very familiar with. But now the world of barbering, your grandfather was a barber. Yeah. Tell that story because that's just fascinating <laughs> that, yeah. that so long ago he was a trendsetter. Yeah. Tell us about that. Well, he had a choice. You either go to the service or you figure your life out. And he decided to cut hair for whatever reason. And he was the first black African-American to open and own and operate a barber salon in Gordon Heights, Long Island. Hmm. He just passed away two years ago, but till the day he died, he cut hair. Till what age? Uh, he was 82. Wow. Yeah. And um, so for 67 years. Well, that was, yeah, he cut hair for like 67 years. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Yeah. Amazing. Did he see your work and your career? I'm sure he did. Oh, absolutely. He, he, my grandfather was like the patriarch of our family, okay. you know, cutting hair. You think, oh, cutting hair. But he gave when I, 
At his funeral, so many people, family members, friends, even people just in the community stood up and were just saying how many wonderful things that he did and offered to people and put people through school and offered them this and helped them buy a car and you know Did you he, know about some of that I stuff? didn't know about it. So really? it was enlightening and I uh, yeah and I looked at it and I said, Wow, that's kind of some of the things that I do. Like in my career and I always say that I don't hold on to anything. I give it away. I teach people. I walk them through you know, a pathway to get to where I am. I help people all the time, you know, and it gives me some type of gratification. And to see the people that you touch succeed, to me, it feels like it's a vein of my success, you know? So I do the same thing that he does. And my uncles adopted uh, cutting hair as well. Hmm. I had two or three uncles that also worked in the shop, and hmm. it was a family thing. But, yeah, he was so proud of my career. He, that's hmm. all he talked about was Stacy, wow. Stacy, Stacy. And when he would come to California, he'd say, I saved this hair. I got to sit in your chair. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah, and I've gone to Long Island and stood up there and cut with him. And it was a very different experience in comparison to what I do. There, it was the old, you know, traditional men's, you know, man cave, barber shop, right. you know what I mean? And he put me up there, and the guys are coming in, and they're looking at me like, what the heck? Was Who it one of those she? barber shops where women <laughs> basically aren't welcome? Yeah, exactly. Or, okay. So I basically was there spoiling sexism, like, okay. you know what I mean? <laughs> and he said, hey, you know, this is my granddaughter. Give her a try. And nobody wants to see. And then there's this one brave guy that sits down, and I cut him, and Everyone else sees, and then it's a trickle f effect, and next thing you know, I'm cutting hair all day, but he loved it. He oh, loved wow. it. It was a great. I'm glad that I got to have that experience and share our craft together. What, what are some of the best lessons that you learned from your grandfather? That's a good question. I think the best lesson was that right there, because those a lot of those experiences, cutting hair in the shop with him, happened early on in my career. And it was always a stigmatism, you know, like uh, a woman cutting hair. And he basically, I think he purposely put me up there like never feel, you know what I mean, inferior. And so that gave me this confidence that I've carried on throughout my career. And today it's different. There's a lot of women barbers. You know, it's not such a man's thing anymore. Which we're going to talk about. Yeah. But he broke some barriers. I think he broke and, some barriers. And you're yeah. doing the same and thing I'm now. And I'm doing the same thing now. Wow. Wow. <laughs> yeah. What a legacy. Yeah. I, d I just love it when somebody has a legacy like that. Yeah. Where they can talk about what they they gained. Because uh, sometimes nowadays, <laughs> where people seek out their mentors or their, it's, right. it's whoever's hot right. today. <laughs> This was but right what, there what the, what at the home. what did grandpa and, teach yeah. you, though? That's, that's what you want to hear about. Exactly. Wow. So at, at what point in your life did cutting hair become a craft that, obviously, it was a hobby. Right. You Somehow you grabbed some scissors and some shears, and you, you got busy. But then at some point, you realized, okay, maybe there's something to this. Or other people saw that in you. Yeah. I, I say that my whole career is kind of serendipitous. Because okay. it wasn't like I set out and I said, hey, I want to do this, I want to do that, then I want to get here and I'm trying to get there. You know, it was just a talent. And I think uh, Will says it best. He talks about talent versus skill. Okay. Talent you have naturally. A skill comes from hours and hours and hours of honing your craft. 
I realized I had a talent. I grew up with brothers and I would cut their hair, you know, and it was fun for us. And it was, it was the time period really, because it was like the birth of hip hop and a whole subculture was being born and they were into, you know, hair and these different styles and the high top fades and the parts and the designs. And that seemed so interesting to me, you know, and it seemed like so much fun. So I'd pick it up and do it. Uh, you were how old? I had to be about nine, nine or ten. Nine when you were started cutting. Yeah, like ten, nine, ten years old. <laughs> okay, now you weren't just having fun. I hear you that you charged your brothers. Yeah, I was charging my brother. <laughs> I think I think back then my allowance was at up to about ten bucks a week. Okay, and my brothers was at three. We would start at the same amount, but depending on how many you know points or chores you didn't do, it would get deducted. Okay, he, he always ended up at about three bucks. <laughs> And so I would charge him two dollars. You left him with a dollar for the week. <laughs> yeah, I'd leave him with a dollar for the week. And you're you're walking off with twelve. For yeah, the week. but I, I realized the value in that haircut. He would spend two thirds of his money to go to school looking nice for the rest of the week. <laughs> okay, well let's talk about the value of that haircut now. What do you charge now? Oh, it depends on film. You know, television. You might do press junkets. If we're speaking of my regular clients. 50 bucks okay. for a haircut. That price is based on my cutting schedule. Okay. I have days that they're not set days that I will say, okay, I'm cutting hair. Well, I have a full day's work. It's 50 bucks to come and get an appointment. If you call me and you want an appointment for a specific date and time or event, something you're having and you need a haircut, okay. I'll try to meet your schedule, and that's 150. It's like a you know a private service, and I'm mending my schedule to make sure that you get in. And I, I do more of those haircuts than I do the okay. Whenever you're cutting, let me know, and I'll come in on your regular schedule okay. and pay you 50. My time is really limited. I wish I had more to deal right. with my regular clients, but I mean, set life is brutal. <laughs> it's really brutal. And that's why you're making. A lot of your money. That's where I'm making my money, yeah. I mean, the money in... You, you, the, could, could you share with us what you're making on... I mean, and I... You could. don't have to. I, I, I get that. I know that that's always no, I, a no, tough I could. question. Um, you know, when you're on set, it just depends on the budgets of the films, you know, and how they break it down, tier one, tier two, tier three. When I'm doing a film and I'm a personal, I'm getting paid above the line. Personal meaning you're there for one specific for actor. One specific you're there for actor. Will Smith or for an Eddie Murphy. Yeah. Okay. Your rates could go anywhere to, you know, you're getting, if you, and especially if you're getting paid through your corporation, you know, you're making upwards from five to $7,000 a week. Okay. You know, but then I work regular films too. You know, mm -hmm. I'm this film I'm doing right now, very good friend of mine, very inspirational in the business, Carla Farmer. She's a department head. She works all the time. She said, Stace, come on, you know, come do this film with me. It's not a lot of money, but it's, it's fun and it's going to be a good experience and we can really, you know, do some work on this film. And, you know, the union has a scale wage. So we're over there working scale wage, but you're getting paid into your pension and health and your retirement and, you know, right. all of that kind of stuff. So you, you do it and it's painless because it's fun. You find that you still to this day will pursue something because 
it's fun to do. So you're, you you don't even know what the <laughs> or don't even care what they're paying. Right. Like, oh, that sounds fun. Or I want to work with that person. Or exactly. How much of that do you still do? I do that frequently, especially if it's something that's like a period film. That's fun. Like you're creating hairstyles from a certain period and the experience in the learning curve is priceless to me, you know? So I do that all the time. Because I hear that a lot. People say, well, I've been doing hair for you know, a hot minute now, then I should be paid my top <laughs> scale and I'm never going to do anything for free. What do you say to that person? No. <laughs> <laughs> That's not the way. <laughs> huh. I like the experience. I like staying current. Right. I like learning. And sometimes all of those things come out of the smallest projects. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you got to step outside of your world or your clique. You know, and you meet other people, and those other people work in the future because they'll call you and say, hey, you know, I met this person on this set, and she's really great. We should call her up. You never know. You know, right. you, relationships. I think the best thing that I've gotten out of this business is the relationships and the resources. I can touch anybody from any walk of life. Resources. I think I know what you mean, but tell us what you mean. I'm just saying, like, I have access to, you know, let's say I was interested in writing a script or writing a book. I have relationships because they've been clients with people who are producers and writers and, you know, different avenues. Like, I can touch anybody. I've made so many relationships. And that is traditionally what the barbershop is. You know, it's a gathering spot. It's a for gathering the, for the spot. community for, for everything. If you have a family member that gets sick, you know the best surgeon in town. Exactly, because they're your client sitting in <laughs> your chair. And you know the the latest gossip and news. <laughs> <laughs> we become uh, pseudo psychiatrists. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> you just said you, you like to work outside of your world, and mm -hmm. then you mentioned a, a film that's a period piece. Mm -hmm. Is that something that would be? outside of your world, so to speak, something that maybe you're not totally uh, comfortable with mm -hmm. or have that skill set and yet you want to take it on? Is that what you're referring yeah, to? that's exactly what I'm referring to. The film that I'm doing now is a period film that takes place in 1957 to the early 60s. I don't know anything about that. So what kind of hair are you doing? We're doing hair from the 50s. Right, right. So what does that look like? I mean, is... Uh, a lot of conch styles... Uh, you know, side parts, you know, the mustaches are a certain way, the sideburns are a certain uh, length, you know, clean shaven. So we do research. Okay. So like I said, I'm learning something while I'm there, you and know. And then you, it's not just, okay, recreate this. I put myself in the frame of mind back then. They didn't have the tools that we have, you know. So they were creating these styles to figure out how they got to these looks. You have to really try to take yourself there and imagine they didn't have these products they didn't have these tools so my, what might they have been using that is comparable to what we have now really yeah so and that's how you create So even though you could create the look using today's products and today's it's tools you want to find out what they used back then to create yeah that. and it's wow. going to make the difference um for instance just recently you know the the guy came in he had uh, sideburns. He had a certain type of uh, beard goatee, and he had a full beard, but it had to be cut into this 
goatee, this weird shape, right? And it was something that we had looked up and researched and saw that this was a look from back then. Well, I could take my clipper and my edger and cut it, and but it's going to look sharp and precise and just too crispy and clean. They didn't have clippers back then that did that, mm. you know? So I had to figure out, well, how do I achieve this? How do I do a haircut that doesn't actually look like a haircut or a fresh haircut, you know? So I said, you know what? Back then, they didn't have these sharp tools. They had probably, you know, one clipper that they used all around. So I did the whole haircut, shave, everything with one clipper, and it came out beautiful. Right. Someone who's in a barber in today's world might look at it and say, oh, well, that's not sharp at all, and it's not crispy, but... But it was a period piece. It was a period piece, wow. and the difference between film and television is I'm creating characters to emulate mm. what the movie is supposed to represent. And when that's off, everything is off. It doesn't feel right. You're busy looking at, you know, this guy's painting on hairline right. instead of being taken into the film. Uh, Malcolm X is a perfect example. When we, I, I believe when I watched that film, I wasn't looking at Denzel. It really felt like Malcolm X. Of course, his acting and right. you know things like that. But everything comes together: makeup, hair, wardrobe. All of those things are components. Who who taught you that? Like, where did you learn that? You know, it's not a lot of people, especially for me coming up, to go to to learn these things. I think it's just something. You know, it's a it's part of my artistry. It's just part of. You know, if I was a painter and I could create these amazing, well, how'd you learn that? It's not a one technical way to art. You just do it until you figure out, oh, that's it. You know, happy accidents, really. Hmm. <laughs> as far as the research that you do, so we were just talked about that film. Mm -hmm. Where are you doing that research? Well, nowadays, it's research easy. obviously right. is much easier because you can go on the internet and look things up, but... Our union has a, a library. Okay. At the Hair and Makeup Union, we have a library. You can go there. You can sit and you can do research and you can copy and pull things. A lot of times, I'll go ask my mom, hey, was oh. this a style back then? Do you have any old magazines? Remember, she was into fashion. Right, right. You know, so I'll be looking at old magazines or even photo albums. Wow. You know, so right. it, that's the real research. You can go on the internet and look up things, but... Is this true? Is this real? Is this, you know what I mean? Or did someone just put this up? <laughs> I have a good friend of mine who does what you do. And, mm -hmm. and so he says that he, he tries to order beauty school textbooks from, yeah. from the 50s. Yeah. So he wants to read back then. He, he could Google it, but he wants that book in his hand of exactly how it's it was written and taught from about back it. then. Yeah, it's something about it where you capture the essence as close to the period as you can get, whether you're touching it or holding a textbook that was written back then, yeah, it takes you there. That's a great way to put it, that you want to capture the essence yeah. of what was happening back then, exactly. what it looked like. Exactly. I just did a period film with Eddie over the summer. Okay. It should be out uh, probably by this summer, and it was uh, Dolomite. So that took place in the 70s, you know, and I can, I was young, but I remember that period, you okay. know, and I can look back in my own photo albums with my parents and, and see that stuff. But yeah, man, it's like you just have to really take yourself there and imagine being in that place. And then walking around on set and seeing everybody in wardrobe and 
you know, the hair is like, you feel like you went back then. That's great. <laughs> yeah. Now, you're a black woman. People mm -hmm. are assuming that all of your clientele are black. Mm -hmm. Is that the case? No, that's not the case at all. Okay. I can cut any hair, whatever it is, white, black, Asian, Latino. For me, I mean, there are barbers who can cut a specific type of hair better. Mm-hmm. I believe I've had so much experience with so many different types of hair. For me, hair is just hair. Mm -hmm. And I work with hair and basically I make hair submit to what I want it to do. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. That's great. Really. <laughs> you also mentioned the importance of relationships. Yeah. In this industry. Yeah, relationships. I, 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 I come a lot from the world of brand new talent because I'm in the school business. <laughs> right, and so right. that brand new talent, you know, I've got 20,000 Instagram followers. <laughs> I've arrived. Right. And therefore, relationships don't matter anymore and my skill doesn't matter anymore and, and I should be receiving that big paycheck now. Right. And my Emmy, by the way. <laughs> yeah, social media and stuff like that. It's a whole new world. It's part of our movement, but it's not everything. Uh, there's something special with hands-on, sitting with someone, talking with someone, exchanging energy. You know, most of the people that I do see on Instagram that have thousands and thousands of following, they're not near where I am professionally, but they have these fans that validate them, per se. But it doesn't necessarily so feel translate like, into <laughs> right. money in your pocket. Right? right, but they feel like they have arrived. A so lot what's of, your message A lot of people that? like, my message is, you know, you can't let social media and your followers and your likes validate you because half of those people aren't even real. They're just on there, click, 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 click. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? I, I can say happy birthday to a thousand people in about five minutes. Yeah. and Right. How sincere is that? Drop your ego. Because, I don't know, it's the whole social media thing is, is a trip for me because a lot of those people feel like because they've been validated or because the numbers on social media say they're this, that, or the third, 30, 40, 50,000 people, there's nothing else for them to know because they know it. They've arrived. My thing is you never stop learning. You never stop learning. So... You always have to go for that. You always have to look for what else is there that I need to know or can learn. You know, I always say, the more I see, the less I know for sure. Say and that again. The more I see, the less I know for sure. Huh. You could think you know everything, but then you see something else. You learn something else about it and you realize, oh, I really didn't know when I thought I knew. You know, that was a, a line in a Beatles song, and it just it stayed with me for the longest time. The more I see, the less I know for mm. sure. So don't think that you've arrived, or I don't feel like I've arrived, mm. you know? So there's, I know there's more. There's more for me to learn. There's more for me to do. So if I walked around so confident, like, oh, yeah, this is it, and I've done it, and I'm going to stay right there. <laughs> do, you, do you feel like you have to keep yourself in check with that? Because if you all of a sudden wake up and have that attitude of, I've arrived, <laughs> maybe that would make you less attractive. Right? <laughs> Probably. I mean, just organically, I ne I don't feel like that. Hmm. You know, I'm just me and I'm just growing. So you don't growing. have to work hard for that. That's maybe a, yeah, a, a I don't, gift of I don't grace work, that you don't have that ego attached yeah, I don't, to Yeah, I don't work hard for that ever. And, you know, uh, ego to me is fear, guilt, and shame. 
you know? And so <laughs> I just try not to have any of those things. You know what I'm saying? Am mm. I fearful? Am I, do I have any guilt about anything? Am, do I have any shame? You know, it's like, I'm just organic. What you see is what you get. And I'm always trying to be better. I feel like I'm all over the map here and asking these <laughs> questions, but how much do your daughters play into that? The fact that you're a, a mom to three girls, a single mom to three girls. Well, your kids will bring you back to there reality. You go. I know they don't really, they don't really care. <laughs> They'll bring you back to reality. That, that mom real has an quick. Emmy nomination. Yeah. They don't really care about that. They don't care about any of that. I mean, you know, I've shared. Oh, I'm doing this and I'm working on that project and so on and so forth. And they want to know what's for dinner. Exactly. That, <laughs> that's nice, I mean? mommy. Let's wrestle. Yeah. So it's yeah. you know, and you hear people all the time who have kids. Oh, thank God for my kids. They ground me. They. It is true. Right. It really is because. After I've danced around every Hollywood set all day and, you know, shared a uh, lunch with whatever celebrity and, you know, picked up my paycheck and went to the bank. When I come home, I have to help do homework. I have to sit through the Disney Channel, you know. So it's right. like, this is real life, uh -huh. you know. <laughs> is, how hard is that for you to be, now I feel like I'm in a whole other world, like now give us parenting advice. Is, is that a challenge for you to then, after all of that, which can be exciting and everything, to then be present with your three daughters? It took a while to figure out a balance, but I have figured it out. And I look forward to that. You know, after a day's work or whatever it is that you're doing, you know, it's like you go out there, you put your costume on, and you perform. You know, the Stacy Cuts, that's cutting hair and doing things in Hollywood, you know, that's a character. You know, when I come home, I exhale and I take off my shoes, you know, and I can scratch my head and lay on the floor with my kids. You know what I mean? <laughs> By the way, that was some of the questioning that Diana Schmicki wanted me to ask you, okay. too. Just the whole balance thing to be able yeah. to. It's not easy because Hollywood, it's long hours, you know. Um, a lot of times you have to learn to say, I can't do it. It doesn't work, you know. And it's not my fault, I mean, or the client's fault that I have kids, but it's my life, and I am going to stay in control of my life. In the beginning, you spend a lot of time trying to make sure you take care of this one and you take care of that one and you don't let anyone down and you're there. And then you have to realize, hey, Which you did for, for many years, I'm yeah, sure. Yeah, I've done that for many years, but you have to realize hey, this is what it is, you know? And either they're going to, I don't mean to be so harsh, but they're going to take it or leave it or work with you. And if it doesn't work, that wasn't the client for you, right? you know? The easy part of what I do is, you know, most of my clients I've been with before either one of us had kids, you know, Anthony Anderson, Eddie Murphy, you know what I mean? Right. Now we do, and we have an understanding. So they now get, they understand what you're going through, yeah, too. Yeah, and they, So for you to say... Sorry, I can't be a part of that. Right. They get it because they're having to make those same choices and decisions. Right. But yeah. the other thing that I do is I always have a solution. I oh. make sure I always have a solution. When I sit down every night, I think of every possible scenario for what my day might look like and a solution. Meaning, sorry, I can't make it, but I've got so-and-so on my team and they are exactly. available. Is that what you mean by that? Yeah. Exactly. What else do you mean by that? Because that's great advice. Yeah, I mean, you know, that's one thing. Hey, you know what? It happened the other morning. My call time conflicted. 
but I already had in mind, if it does, I'm going to make sure that I have someone who can perform the same way as I so mm-hmm. that they're comfortable. As long as the client is comfortable, you're not missing. They're not looking for anything. They're not left, you know, mm-hmm. hanging. And it trickles down into, you know, the kids. Who knows what might happen today? I might not make it to pick them up. Right. But I have a solution. I have something, someone on hold. I have a solution somewhere in my head. Huh. <laughs> Always. And it's kind of called being prepared. Right. You know, if you're prepared, you're just always it's ready. It's also good customer service. Oh, yeah. Like when you get bad service or something that doesn't go your way at, at the hotel. They need a solution. They, they, yeah. So sorry, <laughs> sir. We can't provide mm-hmm. that. But here's our backup. Exactly. We're, oh, okay. Yeah. It's when they just say no. <laughs> no. No, no. We no. can't do that. <laughs> Right. Yeah. So that's my daily thing. Always having a solution for everything, every scenario, every possibility. Um, I get this question a lot. And so I I pass on this question a lot because our industry is full of women who are constantly challenged with, gosh, can I have it all? (laughs) And that's the question. As a woman, can you have it all? I believe so. Okay. I believe I can have it all. I feel, you know, that prepared to have it all and that polished to have it all and that you know worthy to have it all and you know I feel pretty comfortable and confident like Hmm. within myself that yeah those barriers now have been broken Hmm. women do everything Hmm. (laughs) it's true well let's talk about the fact that you're a high profile very famous respected female in the world of barbering Mm -hmm. because usually that's the man's world yeah well it started off that way i don't even think when i began that i was even you know they say ignorance is bliss (laughs) (laughs) i probably didn't even realize i just knew that i liked cutting hair and i could do it and there were people who patronized my services and it it just kept me going and then there were the times when i realized oh this is a weird position and I said, hey, I've had people who deal with me and those people who will, will, and those who won't, they won't do it. You know what I because mean? Because you're and a woman. Because I'm a woman. Right. And I've watched things evolve. It's been a, a long, long journey. I've watched things evolve and I think it's wonderful. I've heard some men say, oh, I prefer a woman. You mm. know, so there's empowerment in those words alone. Like, oh, really? Okay, cool. Yeah, that makes sense. Hmm. Most men would prefer... A woman or a woman's touch in that intimate space you know what I mean so it's just preference um, you participated in what they call barber battles yeah <laughs> I remember the first time that I saw one of those experienced mm-hmm. one of those was at the Bronner Brothers show yeah are you familiar with that yeah, show yeah. It's, uh-huh. it's in Atlanta right. it's like 50,000 <laughs> <It's> huge <laughs> mostly black hairdressers uh-huh. from all over the world that attend that thing right. and I was like I remember that year I happened to be the only white educator at that event, which was pretty cool because the, there's the poster of all the, you know, black, 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 my, my little white face on that poster. I was pretty proud of that. and But I was invited to go to the, the I'd never heard of this, a barber battle. What is a barber battle? Well, those barber battle events, I've just started going to those maybe six years ago. To participate or just to watch? Participate in some capacity. I okay. don't battle. Okay. I feel like, and I'm not being proved, but I'm I'm past that. I'm right. not competing, right. you know, battling. 
I don't need the pressure. Right. Okay, got it. <laughs> you know what I mean? But I participate. I've been a judge. Okay. You know, and things like that. But they're interested, man. Tell our audience about them because they... they... Well, it's like they travel state to state. Okay. It's really a big expo. And there's a lot of vendors. And they're selling things and promoting their products. And, of course, there's music, mm -hmm. DJ. It really feels like if you can think of, you know, the era of, like beach street or breaking okay. it captures kind of that essence because it's a lot of people everyone is there for a common you know thing they all everybody has some involvement with hair or barber in some type of way and they have a battle they have different categories it could either be uh, student battles or traditional haircut like they pick different styles and then they have different artists who register and they literally get up there and have to perform the haircut from that category hmm. in a certain amount of time and then they're judged and they're usually judged by someone prominent or you know a barber that's like prominent amongst their peers or the barber world like I've said I've been a uh, judge and there'll be like five or six judges that are judging those haircuts and they actually like win trophies and prizes of money and <laughs> the one that i went to it was mm -hmm. actually set up like a boxing ring like a boxing with, ring with the ropes and everything yeah. and they had to go under the ropes and get into that into the ring and, and they all get out. busy cutting yeah. hair is that, is that how they are usually yeah that's wow. how they are i mean you know that not necessarily with the boxing ring but they're set up they have all kinds of different you know little fun things how they set them up would you would you advise people to get involved in that and I have would that experience definitely advise them to get involved in that and you know the barber battle captures an essence to me that goes back to when i started hair you know like the essence of hip-hop because hip-hop there was a turning point in hip-hop in the 80s where haircuts changed because of the music and the subculture you know what i mean and it still exists today the haircuts and trends and styles still exist today that were influenced from back then, you know, and that was the thing back then. You get together and whether it was dancing or it was, uh, you know, having a rap battle or something like that, that's what happened back then. Now it's a hair battle, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, and they, they even have people who do uh, sneaker battles mm -hmm. at the haircutting battles. Mm -hmm. That's so <laughs> So cool. it goes back to when Pumas and Adidas and, you know, all of those types of things were in. So now it's current day. But they actually have sneaker battles. Mm. And I've actually gotten on stage for fun with my sneakers. Good and, for you. And won. What you see? <laughs> yeah. What won? Your skills as a cutting or your sneakers? My sneakers. Okay. My shoes. Wait, what I are you wearing today? <laughs> that is great. That's great. Yeah. Not that I want to spend a lot of time on this, but what advice do you have for female barbers listening to this that might be... My, either self-imposed, like I can only go so far because I'm a female in the barbering world, no, or, never. or they're actually feeling that pressure from other people too. Yeah, my thing is never put any limitations on yourself. If you do that mentally or verbally, that's where you're going to be. You're not going to go as far as you might want to go if you put a limitation on yourself. The other thing is always maintain your integrity. Because there's a lot of things as a woman that you're going to run into or deal with dealing with the opposite sex. What do you mean? Give us some examples. Being hit on, okay. asking to do weird favors, 
<laughs> uh, I've been asked to manscape someone hmm. in a private setting. It's like, hmm. no, sorry, I can't do that. Good for you. But they'll test the waters. Right. You know? And then once that happens, you know, what happens to the client yeah. relationship? Right. It's, it's The dynamic has changed, you know? So that's the main thing. Maintain your integrity. Don't pin any limitations on yourself. And hone your craft. That's what matters. That's what the client is there for. They want a good haircut. They want to feel good. They want to trust you. Man, as long as you maintain those things, the work will prevail and it'll keep going. That was actually my next question about honing your craft and continuing to develop your skills. What What are some really good resources for barbers to, to hone in their craft? Um, well, really, it's practice, practice, practice. There you go. The more you do it, you're going to get better. And step out of your comfort zone. If you're good at doing, you know, tight, high fades on African-American hair, try something different. You got that. You can do that, right? Step out of your comfort zone. That's the only way you're going to discover something new. Hmm. How do you do that today? Well, you sort of mentioned it earlier, doing a film that's a period piece. That's yeah. out of your comfort zone. Yeah, a good example of me stepping out of my comfort zone, uh, for instance, Dream Girls with Eddie Murphy. I had never really done wigs before. Okay. I was... Eddie pet- Murphy had a wig? In Dream Girls. Okay. I, I, know, I know that. <laughs> yeah. I, I, was, I was petrified, you know? But I said, how else am I going to learn it until I put my hands on it and do it? I did it. I would have never known that I could do that and master it if I didn't do it. Right. I would have stayed right where I was. I probably wouldn't have did that movie. And I probably wouldn't be where I am now because now I do a lot of that stuff. Hmm. You know, So it's like you just got to experiment. Um, when I started working on The Voice, I've learned a lot there. It's a whole different format, different types of hair. You might get anything. You know? what, what are you doing on The Voice? Uh, the contestants. Okay. Yeah, doing the men's grooming. And, I mean, we get every type. We get black, white, Latino. Are you yeah. doing their hair before they first originally? We're doing their hair or from. Or once they, they land a gig. We're doing their hair from beginning So they haven't even end. made one appearance yet, and you're and, styling them before they even go it's on. A, yes, and Got it's it. a very intricate process because when they first start and they're doing blind auditions, you're not going to get them in there and give them you know this whirlwind of a change and make them look like superstars because there's a process there's steps to their growth on the show and there's steps to the growth of their hair i always love watching that when they when they (laughs) land a a a gig on like american idol or the voice or whatever it's like oh now they somebody got their hands on that right (laughs) eventually when they're out there shining yeah exactly Uh, so there's a transformation process you know and i learned that you know, when I first got there, I wanted to do everything to everybody. It was like, whoa, we got a long way to go before we even see who makes it that far. And once they oh, get Oh, so you're there, wanting to transform them right day from one. the very beginning. And the producers are saying, no, Stacy, that's not the... Right. Wow. And so I've learned that. And by the end, that person who does make it through, you turn them into a shining star. Wow. You know, and when I go and I look back, I'm like, wow, look how they came here. You right. know, look what they look like. But it's supposed to show a journey. So when you're doing those blind auditions, how many contestants are you doing in a day? Oh, man. It's a cattle call. Really? It's a cattle call. And you you're basically, doing 10, you're doing 100. How many are you doing? It could be 20, 30 people. Wow. And, I mean, you want to keep them true to who they are and how they came. 
and just clean them up a little bit. Got it. Yeah. Got it. But you want them to still be who they are. So back to Eddie Murphy on Dreamgirls. Was, was he the only actor that you did on that film, on, or were there others that you worked on as well? On Dreamgirls, I was doing him. I was okay. a personal to him. Yeah, and I had in Dreamgirls we had two different looks. Okay, and yeah. how many days did that require that you were there working? I was that? there every day. Eddie was in and, that and movie. And that lasted for how long? That, that was shoot? three, four months. Okay. Yeah, every, every, day, every day. Yeah, 12, 14-hour days, every day, Monday through Friday. Wow. Yeah, and then once my day was over, my day wasn't over because once I removed the wig, I got to clean the wig and prep the wig for the next morning. So I was no sleep. Wow. <laughs> Congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. What, you had Emmy nominations. What are mm -hmm. those for? Uh, two of my Emmy nominations were in The Voice. Okay. And that's why, I mean, I talk about that show a lot because it gave me a lot of experience and, it, it, you know, to things that I wouldn't have known if I wasn't on that show. And it became a platform for me to be able to ex freely express, you know, my barbering and, and styling and... It got recognized hmm. because I got nominated. And that's the best part of what we do, even if it's the regular client in the chair. When people take notice and they like what they see, mm -hmm. that's the best part of it. You've talked about uh, the importance of relationships, and but we're also talking about sustaining a long-term clientele. Mm -hmm. So with somebody like an Eddie Murphy, mm -hmm. which has been 20-plus years, obviously you have your boundaries and you know what's appropriate and what's not appropriate right. in order to maintain that professional relationship. Can you share that with us? Well, it's really... Because it doesn't just apply to a celebrity. It could be... A, anybody. Yeah, a client's yeah. been all three years from there, <laughs> and they're still coming back to me, so I don't have to be on time. I can I can talk <laughs> well, whatever. Well, really, you I have wanna... to determine, you know, it's, it's your discretion. You have to determine or read who that person is and what you and that client's rhythm is you know what i mean everybody's different some people like to get in a chair and they want to talk they want to talk 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 and talk about everything and tell you everything it's up to you to say do i want to engage in this conversation or do i just want to listen mm -hmm. you know but whatever it is when you find that comfort zone for yourself and for the client the main thing is consistency as long as you maintain consistency there's no surprises consistency with However you deal with them okay. and how, whatever your relationship is with them. Okay, give some, some examples that, and you can speak freely here, of mistakes that you see other stylists or, or groomers or session. Uh, engaging in conversation that really is not their business. Making a comment on a conversation they might be having with someone else. Uh, feeling comfortable enough to you know, maybe venture into, a, if you're doing a house call area of their home that you haven't been invited to, mm -hmm. oh, I'm going to go into the kitchen and get something to drink. It's home training. <laughs> if you invited me to your house, I'm going to, and you say, hey, come and have a seat. You've invited me. I'm going to come in and have a seat. Right. I'm not going to get up and go in your I didn't refrigerator. invite you to get right. in my underwear drawer. Right. But right. if I'm thirsty, I might ask you. Right. Is it okay if I have something to drink? And if I see you going to get it, okay, I'll sit here and stay here. It's just, you know, little things. Everybody has their own little quirky ways. Some clients don't want to talk at all. So yeah. that's what it is. You, you keep it quiet. You do your job. Uh, Pierce Austin, 
He's a barber in the industry. He does will most of the time on his out of town projects because right. I'm I'm here. You you can't travel with Will Smith, so Pierce goes. Yeah, okay. and Pierce that's his guy now, you know. And basically, tables have turned. I help Pierce with Will. <laughs> I help him when he needs help with Will. He told me, and I don't even remember telling him this, and he's been in the industry 20 plus years. He said the most important bits of information that I ever gave him when he sought me out and was eager to learn and was under my wing, he said that I told him, Pierce, go there, do your job, and don't try to make any friends. Hmm. and it's true it's a fine line between what did you mean by that just be be more professional yeah keep it professional and even though these people might become your friends it's still a fine line between Hmm. friendship client you know so at what point are we friends and we're joking around and at what point are we clients you know what i mean they're your friends, but they're not your friends when you're at work. Right. Screw up their hair and we'll see how long <laughs> the friendship lasts. When you're at work, you're at work. <laughs> right. I've been friends with Eddie since I was 18. Right. But when I go to work, we are not friends. I have a duty to pr- fulfill. I have a time I'm supposed to be there. It's a professional. Mm-hmm. I can't say, hey, man, come on. You know, I was tired this morning. I- he doesn't want to hear that. He doesn't want to hear that. We have a job to do. And when we're at work, we're not friends. <laughs> you know what I mean? Advice. Wow. Yeah. You have to know when to. I don't I don't hang out with my clients like that. Right. Every blue moon, hey, Stace, we're doing this. Oh, oh, yeah. Okay. I'll come. But it's a fine line between friendship and a professional relationship. We're in a friendly business. We're in a friendly business. Doesn't necessarily mean that we want <laughs> to cross that right. line. <laughs> and it doesn't always mean that we're friends. Great advice. My friends that I have and have been friends for a long time are outside of this business. Got it. Yeah. You mentioned uh, Pierce. I know there's other people that you work with. Mm-hmm. So you've kind of created an alliance with each other. And, yeah. Um, can you talk about that, the importance of surrounding yourself and becoming good, strong team members and they support you, you support them. What does that relationship look like and the value of having that type of a a network? Yeah, I mean, I've created a little circle. Uh, there's Pierce, there's uh, Conrad Hilton, who is uh, Jamie Foxx's barber, and there's another guy, Christopher Linnell, who does uh, Evan Ross, Tracy Ross's brother. And our goal is in work to maintain the standard that was set forth. And our work is to be a solution for each other's problems. Hmm. You know what I mean? Whether it's, hey, man, I got this project. You know, you want to keep it within the family. You want to keep it internal. And you want to keep your clients within the family. Hmm. This is the way to keep your client. You can't be with your client all the time. But if Chris covers my client for me or Pierce takes over a show for me, I haven't lost that show. When I'm done doing what I'm doing, hey, Pierce, I'm back. Okay, man. Here. Same thing in the salon. Yeah. <laughs> that that client going. needs to come in today. Right. I can't service them. It's, but it's, you've built a great relationship with the other team members right. in your salon. And it's better than them going out and seeking someone else. There that you go. Maybe, maybe is, you know, hey, they're available all the time. I'm just going to go over here. Now you've right. lost it. 
with us, we keep it within the family and maintain. What's your best family. advice for cultivating those good, strong, trusting, respectful relationships with? You know, it's hard for me to have advice because I've been lucky enough to be surrounded with people that just have a innate understanding of team building and trust and loyalty and things like that. Really, it's just, you know, choosing who you deal with, okay. you know, choosing who you deal with. and making But sometimes sure. the best advice comes from <laughs> seeing or experiencing something horrific. Yeah. Exactly. Where you did have somebody who stole the client, right. or stole the celebrity. Well, you can't or, steal a client. Right. You because you them. They left you. Right. right. The cli it's the client's choice to go or be with whoever they want to be. I see that. I, well, I used to see that in the shop all the time. Oh, and the clients, they feel guilty and the stylist feels <laughs> it's guilty. Like it's like worse than, than <laughs> adultery. You yeah. left me. You cheated on me. Because right. it's a really intimate relationship. But I've always kept in my mind that they can choose to go to whoever they want, okay. you know? So, I don't know. And to uh, if, if you want to avoid that within your circle, because we've done this, I've had experiences where I'm like, okay, well, Pierce is gonna cover you. And they've said, hey, well, Pierce, you know, can you just, you know, come and be and do, and be my guy? Um, check with Stacy on that. So he wouldn't say, oh, absolutely, don't tell Stacy." I've done He's it with like, him, too. Okay. You know? Well, let me check with Pierce and see. Just or, to, or they've just called me directly for a service, and I'll call Pierce. Hey, they just called me. Are you not available? No, I'm available. Okay, well, they just called me. I'll hit them up, and I'll say, hey, Pierce is available. Do you want me to have him give you a ring? It's a way of kindly it. saying... That's Pierce's client. Got it. I'm not stepping oh over any God. boundaries this is such or toes. Good advice. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, and the client realizes, oh, okay, there's an order here. There's, there's checks and balances, and there's a pecking order, really. And in, in, in <laughs> integrity and yeah. caring like for. Like we will, we know Pierce is the first go-to. Right. If Pierce is not available, it's Stacy. If Stacy's not available, it's Conrad. I know salon owners who, within their city and their community, mm -hmm. have created that type of an alliance with each other. Yeah. Where they have an agreement that they won't, not only will they not steal and <laughs> try to recruit stylists away from the other salon, but right. if that stylist from another salon calls, hey, I want a job, they're like, I can't hire you. Right. You know, I don't hire stylists from my competitor down the street. We have that agreement. And that's I think good. That that's wonderful. You maintain your You niche. know, stylists come and go. Yeah. You know, so, so I was a hot stylist. I hired them and they lasted for two years and then they're <laughs> gone. But now I've, I've destroyed a relationship that could have lasted for 20, 30 years with Over another what? salon owner. Yeah. Over what? <laughs> yeah. Right. That's interesting, mm -hmm. but it works, you know. I don't know how we created it, but it's been working for wow. years. And now the circle's getting bigger. Great know? advice. Talk to us about the difference in your mind and your experience between barbering and men's grooming. Well, it depends on what world you're speaking well, of. Well, for example, uh, Diana Schmitke, who's a, a dear friend of, okay. of, of us, and she lives she calls herself a men's groomer she lives in the world doesn't i mean she cuts men's hair and right. she grooms them she, from skin to makeup right. to and beards to all of that in the union sense of the word okay grooming means makeup and face so a makeup artist might do men's grooming which means they would not only do makeup 
but they might shave them. They might do their sideburns. They okay. might trim their mustache or, okay. or goatee. They might give them a little trim on their hair, but that's not their specialty. Got their it. specialty isn't barbering. They'll groom you. They'll, you know, fluff you up a little bit and make you look a little more presentable. Right. Yeah. So, and then outside of Hollywood, a men's groomer could apply to being a full-on barber. I'm a barber groomer, you know, so the word is, and it comes from the old days. The union was established back in 1937, and a groomer was someone who did makeup. Okay. You know. Well, because I've been told that with a male celebrity, mm -hmm. sometimes there's not a budget. There's a budget for one person right. to do everything. There if is. If it's a female celebrity, right. there's the budget for a hairdresser as well as a makeup artist. Right. But in, if it's a male celebrity, one person is supposed to be able right. to do it all. And is it's, that, not, is it's that? not fair to the artist, okay, <laughs> but it happens. Uh, oftentimes, I've been asked to come in as a barber to do a male client. And they're like, do you do makeup too? No, I don't do makeup. And I'm not going to do makeup. That's not what I do. Okay. I've never lost a job behind it, but... I'm not doing both. Okay. <laughs> Most makeup artists will do both. I've never seen uh, as many barbers do both. Some barbers have learned a little makeup here and there, but that's not really their forte. I come into a lot of times where, like you said, there's a budget for one, and the client has chosen hair, okay. the barbering. Uh, Anthony Anderson does it all the time. I'd rather be on the carpet with my hair looking sharp and no makeup than have makeup and my hair is not good. Okay. Well, that makes a lot of sense. But then who's doing his makeup? He'll just go no makeup. Okay. Yeah. Matter of fact, most all of his carpet appearances, he has no makeup. Okay. He'd rather, but that's his choice. Because right. he could choose a makeup artist over hair. Got it. You know, so. But we all know. Gotta have the hair. <laughs> Gotta have your hair. Right. <laughs> And if you have good skin, then, you know, you're like, hey, give me some anti-shine and I'm on my way. Got it. <laughs> I, I got solutions for the anti-shine because I, yeah, you with got this it. bald head, I deal with the anti-shine all the time. I got solutions. So, um, again, I feel like I'm jumping all over the place. I heard in another interview that you did that you were doing the hair for Roots, mm -hmm. uh, that miniseries that came out recently. Right, right. Uh, not the old one, the, the, the newer new one. one yeah. Right. And you had to build hair. You had to. Yeah. I, th I think in the interview you were even saying that your daughters at night were, were helping you roll little balls that were part of the, the hair pieces that you had to create. Yeah, what happened was that movie was shot in New Orleans. Okay. I wasn't a part of the crew, but what happened is the main actor that played, number one, who was Kunta Kente, mm -hmm. he had, I will call it slave hair for lack of a better term, his right. hair was just, you know, whatever a slave's hair would have been back then, rolled up. You know, you weren't combing your hair. You were out in the hot sun all day being a slave. Right. They took a break from shooting, and he went back to London where he lived, and he actually took on another project. That project required him to cut his hair into a low Caesar. Okay. He did that. Then, all of a sudden, they said... Okay, we're going to get back to shooting on Roots. 
he didn't have his hair anymore. They had already shot, I think, two parts of the four, and now his hair doesn't match. Somehow or the other, I don't know how, I was called, and I remember to call clearly because they said, we're doing this project, my name is so-and-so, and we were referred to you, and they said that you just are amazing and you could recreate this hair. Hmm. What is it? Is it? Do you make wigs or what? And I said, well, you know, I asked all the questions I needed. Obviously, I need to see the hair and know what I'm dealing with. And they sent me over all this stuff, and I'm looking at it. And I answered, they, we need an answer. Can you do it? Yeah. <laughs> you just said, I believe in ready fire aim. Right. She yeah. just said, yes, I'll figure this out. I can do out. it. And I'm looking at this hair saying, okay, send me a picture of the actor again. And they send me a picture, and this guy has no hair. And I'm going, I know I can figure this out some kind of way. And they're like, and we want to do a test. Because they said, well, what are you going to do? I said, I'm going to make his hair like that. That's what y'all want. Y'all want it to match. And it's kind of weird when someone steps into your job and says, if you're a lighting guy and we're doing a photo shoot and I hire you because of your reputation with lighting, I don't need to know what you're going to do. Right. I need it to look like this. I tell you, I need my pictures to look like this. That's your job to figure it out. They wanted me to explain to them step by step. And the thing is, I didn't have a plan. And even if I did, they don't understand hair. So explaining it to them was irrelevant. In any case, I sat down and literally, because they were little like knotty balls, figured out a way to make these little knots. Mm. And I did my own test first. Mm. I tried it on a client. You know, and a bunch of, you know, discovery and happy accidents. I figured it out. Discovery and happy accidents. (laughs) And I called. There we go back to the circle. Hey, Conrad, I have to do this. What do you think? Well, maybe we could try this, that, and the third. Hey, Pierce, look at this. What do you think? What would you do? Hmm. And I took all of these things. Oh, I don't think that would work. Well, okay, let's try this. And me and Conrad sat down and made something. That's it. We got it, mm-hmm. and we presented it to them, and they absolutely, I mean, it matched perfectly. Wow. They absolutely loved it. We were both flew in on a special occasion to finish out that part of the Root series since he had cut his hair, and I finagled that he was able to come with me because at the time when we started. Conrad came with you? Yeah. Okay. It, I said, I have to have my assistant because it took eight hours. Wow. By the time we got it down-packed, it ended up being three, with me and him together. With the actor, three hours every day to get his hair to look that. With wow. me and Conrad together. But what we would do is three hours top of the week, because we do it fresh, and then we developed a method where we keep that on, and when he comes in in the next day, we're just tweaking, and we need wow. maybe an hour to tweak, and he's camera ready. Jeez. They couldn't believe it. Wow. Mm-hmm. And I, that film got nominated. I wish it had won, because that would have been incredible to get nominated for something that I had put so much effort into. (laughs) How exciting though that you're having those types of experiences still in your career this many years later. It couldn't be written. (laughs) Well, here you have all this notoriety, you have these celebrity endorsements, you have a successful clientele working in the salon, in the shop. How much do you still have to hustle? 
Every day is a hustle. Oh, thank you. <laughs> thank <laughs> the you. The hustle never stops. It never. I mean, once you stop hustling, you've given up. Hmm. You've given up. It's inbred in me. My mother was a hustler, you know, with her modeling and getting jobs and getting accounts and doing fashion designing and, you know, being a seamstress. My father, too, in the record industry, you know, back then especially, it's in my blood. If I'm not hustling to make something happen every day, week, month, five years from now, ten years from now, I'm dead. <laughs> I'm dead. One of my hashtags on Instagram is do dealer. Hairdos. Do dealer. Like hair a hair D O D E A. D O O. Okay, do okay, got do it. Do dealer. Love it. I slang hairdos. Right. <laughs> Every day. Right. Later on when I leave here, I might have I can't sit down. Right. I'm, I'm one so of those that, type. That was your answer. Yeah. <laughs> you know, because that's how I feel. I feel like I, I can't coast. No, I never will. No. No, I can't just like ride it coast, out from here on I out. might coast for a week on the beach on vacation somewhere. Right. But my brain is still moving. <laughs> Dang it. <laughs> oh. This has just been incredible. I see why so many people were excited about me interviewing you today and, and capturing your, your message. Some of these things that you have, have said are, you know, talent is talent and the importance of leaving your ego. I want to quote you. You said, Stacy remains dedicated to excellence by shaping the perspectives of appearance beyond the highest standards of fashion, trend, and grooming. That's a full statement there. Yeah, I wrote that That's a lot. That's a, well, of course you did. That's because... Because you hustle. <laughs> we don't have people that write this stuff for us. We write our, our own PR statements, yeah. right? That's, that's a full statement. That's, that's a lot to take on. Yeah. And I mean, when I started doing hair, it was different. Guys, you know, it was cool. Yeah, I need a haircut once a week. But now it's a lifestyle, you know, mm. whether it be your beard or your mohawk that you're wearing or it's representation of yourself mm. and their perspective on you know, being groomed or looking a certain way, even if you look ungroomed, you're still getting groomed at, you know, some point or the other. So, you know, it's like I, when I started, guys really didn't care. They didn't care. And I think doing their hair and making them feel a certain way, if you let your hair go, you wear no hair. If you let your hair go and your face go, you feel crappy. I can't. I can't last you more can. than 24 hours that and way. And as soon as you do it, you feel good. Yeah. So it's a thing that we're chasing. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I'm so elated to be a part of that and for guys to be like wanting to be of their highest standard. Really, it, it equates to I want to feel my best mm. because when you look good, you feel good. And when you feel good, good things happen. Do you feel like maybe sometimes your, your male clients are pickier? Than your female clients from they're becoming yeah we call them we call them uh, male devos okay no, that's great <laughs> not divas devos that's great you know but it's great because the need is there you know the desire is there and I care that they care about themselves <laughs> this has been great Stacy do you have a final message for our listeners realizing that this, it's a pretty wide audience and by the way it's not just the hairdressing right community. right right. My final message is, in whatever you do in life, there's two things. If you're a part of the process, you're making progress. 
So whatever it is that you're trying to do or achieve or become or feel in life, if you're working towards that goal to any degree, any level, you're making progress. So stay a part of the process. Part of the process is to be doing it. You know what I mean? That's great. Yeah. And the other thing is don't compare yourself or try to be like someone else because you're always going to be second. Because mm -hmm. that's someone that's doing whatever it is you want to do or be how you want to be and you're trying to be like them. You're never going to be like someone else. Mm -hmm. They're first at being themselves. And you are too. So just be yourself. Beautiful. Yep. I just have to tell our listeners, like sitting with you since we met, it's just mm -hmm. this feeling of calmness around you. Know what? You. Everyone tells me that. Hmm. Everyone tells me that they're like, you're like the Zen. <laughs> but you and have it, a crazy life. Yeah, I have a crazy life, but, but that's just, why internally hmm. I have to just reel it all in. Else I'd be a crazy person. Right. You know what I mean? And that's another thing with cutting hair. It's not just about the service. It's also about your energy and your persona. I've truly, I've been on jobs where I feel super guilty for the money that they're paying me. And I did maybe a 30 minute haircut, but guess what? Puff or Eddie, they want me there. Hmm. And not just me, but whoever it is that they surround themselves right. with, because that's what puts them in their setting to be able to perform. Hmm. So you saying that energy, I think, that has a lot to do with why I'm around. <laughs> this is great. Yeah. I am you. so honored to have I'm glad met to you be here. <laughs> thank you, Diana, for making this happen. Yeah, but, thanks, Diana. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I just am so excited to get your message out and start to be a big fan of yours mm -hmm. and spread your message. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Zuart. All right. <laughs>